Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Father, we thank you for Judges 4 today. Lord, I ask you to help us all understand what you have to say in here so that we can make corrections in our lives and come to you the way you want us to. Thank you, Lord God, that you lined this out and that you had your wording in here in such a way as to show us what you're trying to tell us. Holy Spirit of God, those who uh, you indwell, give us the understanding beyond our own capacity to think, Lord God. So, Holy Spirit, we look to you for what you have to say in this word today. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in the last chapter, Ehud, that's a kind of a cool name, Ehud. Ehud sounds tough. Uh, He killed the king that was oppressing Israel for all that time. He stabbed him in the gut and he got away, and the Lord orchestrated the whole thing for him to be able to get away. Israel's former oppressor died, and they had a lot of peace because of Ehud. But the pattern that we're seeing in Judges is that while a judge lived, everybody was all right. But when that judge went, when he died, everybody goes crazy again. And that's just the way it went. And so uh, it's important that we look in uh, Judges 4.1. It's reemphasizing that pattern to us again in that it says in Judges 4.1, that when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Here we go again. That's what I think of when I read this stuff. The reiteration from back in Judges 2.19. Judges 2.19 told us when the judge died, everybody got worse. They reverted more corruptly and more sinful than the time before. So this is a continual downward spiral. They are on a downward spiral no matter what. And the judges gave, I guess, somewhat of a temporary relief at times. But it's kind of like when the cat's away, the mice will play. So Ehud's gone, and everybody's going crazy again. And one thing I like about this is that it shows us what a profound influence that just one godly guy can have on a whole nation. Just one guy. That could be you. This ought to show us how much of an impact that just you alone can be if you'll just follow the Lord and do what He tells you to do. So that's the good side of verse 1, but the bad side is that it shows Israel in the downward spiral. And every time a judge came along, he delivered Israel, and as soon as the judge is gone, everybody goes worse than they were. So even though judges are providing some godly periods of peace and relief, the downward spiral is still there. It's still going down as a nation. Uh, They're getting worse. I mean, this is getting worse. So that means each time this happens, we're in a worse scenario than we were. We're worse now than we were in Joshua's time. We're worse now than we were at, at Othniel's time, because now it's worse each and every time. 
But as long as God had a judge in front of them, they listen. As long as a judge is there, they will listen. But not until after they've been put through the pressure cooker first. They have to go through extremities, and then here comes the judge, and they're so hurt and beat up, now they'll listen to that judge. You ever been through something like that in your life? That God tried to pull you out of a bad thing that you were doing, you were willfully doing it, you didn't care, I like it, I want it, so boom, here comes bad times. And all of a sudden it gets so bad that now I'm willing to listen to that pastor, I'm willing to listen to that Christian friend, I'm willing to finally listen to that guy on the radio or TV, because I can't take this anymore. Guys, we are just like Israel. Don't point at them and go, oh, you Israelites. We're the same thing, the same thing. So they wouldn't listen until they got put through pressure first. And, I, and this is the problem we have in America today. People are just not listening. They're not listening to people that God has put in front of them. They just don't want to hear it. I'm talking about the majority scale. The majority of the nation out there, they just don't want to hear it. They hate the word repent. I've got a lot of friends that are Christian, and they say they go to church, and they believe in Jesus, and all that stuff, but they, but they will ask me this question. Why do you always talk about repentance all the time? It's like it just burns them up to hear me talk about that. And I'm like, wow, funny you should pick that one word to get upset about, because you don't want to listen. You don't want to turn. And it's a downward spiral, worse and worse. And Israel is doing it here in Judges 4. They are spiraling down worse and further each time. So now Judges 4 and 2. So, now get this, y'all ready? Here's this, well, my God would never do this. Well, look at what he does. Verse 2, so the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth Hagoyim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Oh, look, here we go again. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Here goes this pattern all over again. Here we go again. So the Lord delivered Israel out of oppression in Egypt. We remember that. That's the big way. Everybody remembers that. The Lord delivered Israel out of Egypt. He took them out of slavery and everything was fine ever since. No, it wasn't. Because what we're seeing right here, he delivered them out of slavery. I see the Lord selling Israel back into slavery. Do we often think of that one? The one we always think about is he took them out of slavery. Here's the Lord selling them back into it. Why? Because Israel has been repeatedly serving other gods. There are other things in their life that are higher up the priority list than God is. And when that happens, whatever it is, and I'm talking to all of us here, if your job takes priority over God, if your money takes priority over God, if your boyfriend takes priority over God, your girlfriend, whatever, your status, your career, what, all these things that goes on, if it takes priority over God, you are serving false gods, you've got pressure coming. Why? Because God wants you. God wants you. Guys and girls, if you're married to somebody, you don't want them running around with somebody else. They better come back to me. <laughs> they better be staying at my house. God's like that. He goes, hey, I want you. You better come to me. And if you don't, I'm going to do things to get you to come to me. And you know what? You need to be thankful that God does this. Very thankful. So it's typical thinking that God saved Israel from slavery, but we rarely remember that he put them back into slavery because of their sin. Do not ever take advantage of God's grace 
well, I'm saved. I'm okay. I'll just go do what I want to. No, because you're saved, you should get on your knees and say, God, what do you want me to do? Now, even if you're saved by Christ, delivered from the slavery of sin, do not provoke God's wrath by serving whatever these false gods in your life might be, or else he can sell you into slavery to your enemies again. And you don't want that. Trust me. Scripture says to keep with repentance, stick to it, stay close to the Lord, don't drift off into serving false gods, because as soon as you serve false gods, just like it says in the verse, you will start doing evil things. Well, it seems okay to me. Yeah, to you it does. God doesn't like that. He likes selfless humility. And saved or not, if you turn towards sin, he will do something about it. How many of you, if you're married or whatever, or your kids, whatever, run off and go on off with the wrong people, how many of you wouldn't do something about it? Uh-uh, I'm not having it. God does that. But it won't feel good if you do this and provoke his wrath, and it will get worse every time. I want us to take notice that in previous chapters, God handed Israel over to various kings, but it only says that Israel served those kings. Y'all remember that? It says, and they served king whatever his long name was. They served him. They served him. But look at verse 3 here in chapter 4. It doesn't say they're just serving King Jabin. It says he oppressed them harshly. You see how much bad, worse it's getting. It's not, oh, we'll just serve here. Here's your plate, or I'll fix your horses up. No, it says he's harshly oppressing them. This is getting worse, guys. If you go to a restaurant and a waiter, let's say I go to a restaurant and the waiter serves me. I order something and he brings what I ordered. He, he comes in with it and, and, okay, that's serving me. But let's say if I went to the restaurant and let's say I beat the waiter with a whip back in the kitchen. I want that well done, man. You're not cooking that right. And I just beat the guy up. That's harsh oppression versus just serving me. Do you see the difference? Pretty severe. Do you see how the conditions of Israel's judgment is getting worse and worse to correspond with the continuation of their worsening sin? You see what's going on here? Friends, I want to also tell you that God is no pushover. He is not no pushover. He's not going to put up with it. If you're his or going to be his, he's going to come get you relentlessly and thank God for it. He pursues his people regardless of how bad they get. And be glad about this because if God did not pursue you, you could not be saved. America, it's time to get to know the true God of the Bible and throw away that pansy pushover God that you invented because he does not exist. So God is not just wanting to shower everybody with roses and rainbows no matter what we do. He is a God that gets fierce about his people and he sells them into slavery to get them to turn. Did you know this about your God? Here he is. Let's get real and find out who God says he is. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed. Does it say hidden? Does it say tucked away? Does it say he puts it away because he doesn't want to hurt your feelings? It says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. God doesn't like his truth being pushed down and hidden away. So he's not hiding his wrath away on those who do it. He reveals it. Sin makes God angry, and he sold his own people Israel off, not just to serving, but to harsh oppression. And friends, as a Gentile, I have to stress the point that if God would do this to his own chosen people of Israel, what do you think he would do to us as the foreigner? 
I'm a Gentile. If he would do that to his chosen people, what do you think he'd do to us? Guys, whoo, we better get this down. This time the oppression was harsh. And when you see in verse 3 that this king had 900 chariots of iron, it really helps you understand that this was a really tough enemy here. This enemy was no pushover either. Harsh guys here. And Israel's hard-headedness from sin was so thick that they had to sit under this oppression for how long? How long does it say before they finally cried out to God? 20 years. 20 years. 20 years before they would finally cry out to the Lord. That's a long time. To what level of hard-headedness do people have to go through before they will finally cry out to God? How long do we have to let it run sometime? Like I've said before, isn't it better if we could just find it in ourselves to give honor to our God, to give God our praise, and to give God our time, and just bow down to Him in thankfulness, and live our lives in obedience without having to be run through the pressure cooker first? Why can't we just do that? Why can't we just say, God, I messed up, and I'm sorry. And I'm going to stop that mess, but I don't know how to fix it, so I just give my life to you. Show me what to do, and let's go from there. Why do you have to wait for it to get so bad first? Why can't we just bow and get it over with? Give your life to Christ. How much mess that we could save ourselves if we would just cry out to the Lord without having to endure all that first? They went through 20 years. Did it have to be 20? Well, I guess so. I guess because they were thick, but there's no reason why it had to be 20. America? Why don't we get down on our knees and repent? Judges 4 and 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Okay, so she's got a little courtroom here under this tree. She's a judge. That's kind of like the president of the United States. They had military, uh, you know, judicial and ex- executive uh, powers, okay? So, but this is Deborah. It's a woman. She's the only woman judge Israel ever had. And a lot of people go, huh? What's up with this? Let's look at it. Because I want us to understand some things before we move on. Because Deborah's story, it, it stirs up a lot of controversy because she was a judge of Israel. Now, our modern culture today is way out of order. We remember Othniel and Oxa, how they got married and she submitted to Othniel like God's Word tells the woman to do. It's not about being better or superior. It's simply order. A comes before B, not because it's better. It's simply just order. Okay, that's all it is. God has an order of the way things work. Uh, If you try to bake a cake and you put the ingredients in out of order, it won't come out. But a lot of people are trying to bake their cakes like that. you got to put it in order like the directions say. So there's a lot of women. They have used Deborah to stir up an argument over men's and women's leadership roles to confuse the roles and, and blur the lines, particularly in church. But we have to stay in the context here. We have to stay in the context. Remember, this is Israel's lowest, worst time of their history ever since they got out of Egypt. This is the worst it's ever been for them. Largely because of spineless men who refused to take up their leadership role that God expected of them. Now, I'm going to drill the men hard today because I am one. Therefore, I feel like I get to. (laughs) 
<laughs> and when I see spineless men in our culture, it offends me as a man. It offends me. It burns me up because men ought to know better. We ought to be doing our role. But spineless men were not doing their leadership. And God holds men accountable to leadership. He holds you accountable. When you, men, when you don't do your job, like the Word says, He doesn't come after her, He'll come after you. And I want to show you an example of this. In the Garden of Eden, what happened after Adam and Eve both ate the forbidden fruit? Now, they both ate it, did they not? Both of them did. Matter of fact, Eve ate it first. But I want to show you what happens. Genesis 3.9. It says, The Lord called to the man. Oh, buddy. He called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Time to go to the principal's office. That's what that was. He didn't call out to Eve. Well, God, she ate the fruit too. As a matter of fact, Adam says, well, this woman you gave me, God didn't care. He said, hey, I told you to lead her. She's your helper. He, called, he didn't call out to Eve. He called Adam. Why? Because the man is to lead. He is also the one who is held accountable. Oftentimes you hear people saying, I want to lead, I want to take charge, and they don't respect authority, and they want to take the lead role. They're not thinking of the accountability that comes with it. It's heavy, heavy accountability. People often cry that the man gets to lead. Well, we take the heat as well. God called the man to give answers, not the woman. And then God told the woman, Genesis 3.16, he says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Do y'all see that? Are y'all very acutely aware that I didn't write that? I hope so. God said this, guys. If you have that attitude, well, I don't want no man telling me what to do. God said this. Sorry, but not sorry. He shall rule over you. Not a very popular teaching today, is it? I told you it's not very politically correct, but friends, I'm telling you this. I'm trying to tell you this so that you can have the opportunity to say, if I'm out of order, I need to get right. And God will bless you through that. Guys, I want you to get a blessing. I want you to be blessed. I don't want you through the pressure cooker anymore. With this all being biblically established, a question now arises. We have biblically established that the man leads. The question comes up, why would God choose Deborah, a woman, to be judge of Israel? Well, I agree with this here. Deborah's position as Israel's only female judge was itself a judgment that God put upon the weak-willed men of Israel who would not take up their role. Deborah being a leader, a judge of Israel, it was to get the man to snap out of it. Israel, remember, is in the worst downward spiral they've ever been in here. And because Israel's men were too spineless to judge... God chose a woman to judge Israel for the purpose of shaming the men. Guys, you've ever been out on the playground at school and some girl could do something better than you did? What did that do to you? Uh-uh, I'm going to do it better than she did. <laughs> this little competitive thing comes up. I think that's what God's doing. He put a prophetess that could hear from God. The men are all wondering, can you hear from God? Oh, I can't hear from God. How come she can hear from God? Shouldn't that be us? Yeah, it should be you. He put Deborah up there to shame the men. And ladies, men having the leadership role, I want to say this again, it does not mean that men are superior. It doesn't mean that men are better. It doesn't mean this man, that men can come home and say, woman, where's my glass of tea? That's not what this means at all. 
And it also doesn't mean that if you perceive that he's not doing what you think he should be doing, this story of Deborah does not give you permission to jump in and take over. There's a godly order here that we have to follow. I've seen more marriages argue themselves to death and blow themselves apart over this very issue. And then they get in the church and they they blow the church into pieces too. So here's Deborah, whose name means honeybee. Now, when I think of a honeybee, I think of a productive worker. So that's probably going to be what Deborah is here. She's a productive worker. Her very name, walking around saying, hi, I'm honeybee, productive worker, a judge of Israel, her very name would have been a stark contrast against all the lazy men who were laying down on the job. (laughs) That would spur some action, you'd think, wouldn't it? So now as we read in verse 4, Deborah could prophesy. She's a prophetess. I mean, she could hear from God and speak uh, to the the nation for him, which is a feature that the people, being able to prophesy is a feature that the people of Israel would want in a leader in this bad time. We need a leader that hears from God. Well, it looks like Deborah's it. Well, I guess she's got to lead. We, We got to hear from God. You see what God's doing? He put her in leadership position to get these men to stand up and do something. Now, I'm sure that her ability to prophesy, speaking the words of the Lord, is majorly a part of what got Israel to set her up as a judge. I'm sure a lot of men resented her for it. But goodness, she hears from God. That's what we need. I'm sure underneath the, under, between the lines here, a lot of guys were fighting about this Deborah being a leader. Well, she speaks from God. We got to have that. So she's in position. She had a court about 8 to 10 miles north of Jerusalem in the mountains of Ephraim. Now, notice in verse 4, Deborah was a married woman, was she? She was a married woman. She's operating under God's order. In fact, her husband's name, if I'm saying it right, Lapidoth, means torch. When I think of a torch, I think of somebody who said, holds it up, says, follow me. Think of the Statue of Liberty. Come, y'all come this way. It's, it's a leader. It lights the way. His name means torch. This indicates that he was quite a leader himself. He had quite a leadership position in Israel as well. But the Bible doesn't give us any more information about him. We just know we can gather a lot from what his name means. So now Israel finally cries out to the Lord, and they run to see Deborah since she can prophesy. It says they all showed up because they this is bad. we got to go hear from Deborah. What's going on? Deborah, tell us something. They want to see what God can do to deliver them again. What this means is Israel's starting to turn. Israel's finally starting to turn. They're finally starting to repent, which is God wants. So here's what Deborah does about it in Judges 4 and 6 now. It says, Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinom from Kadesh and Nephtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Nephtali and the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. Okay, I want to show you in this passage how carefully Deborah chose her words. Deborah's being very careful. She understands she's a married woman. She understands her leadership role that she can prophesy, but she understands that she's speaking to a man. And I want to show you what she's doing here. What she's doing here, she's not giving orders. Notice she is quoting what God said.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.